0: It was a new season for my family. We didn't know anyone, and when you start meeting new people, it's natural to want to be liked or accepted on some level. And somehow, after a few months, I found myself in wrestling. You know, with the singlets that wrestlers wear with the headgear and the mouthpiece, you know, that was the wrestling I found myself in because I was still in grade school, you know, probably eight or ten, somewhere in that range, and... You know, there's a lot of details I don't remember, but what I do recall are bright lights and these tall ceilings with padded mats covering the floors. It was likely in the field house before the new high school was built, but I I don't really know for sure where it was. To determine who you wrestle with, it's by weight class. You know, I, I was in Taekwondo before this, but Lander didn't really have that option when we moved here. So, here I was in wrestling, somehow, you know, I, I beat a couple people in Fort Collins at this Taekwondo tournament, and I got this medal, um, and I think it was before participation trophies, but <laughs> that's what I tell myself, at least. Um, so, I found myself surrounded by all these other wrestlers, and I was confident, you know, I had this medal, that I was going to beat somebody. Whoever came in front of me, I was confident someone I was going to be able to take down. In my first ever practice match against someone, before I knew the rules, before I knew the techniques, this coach you know, I have no idea who it was, but he put me in the circle with another boy and he said, go. What I remember after that moment is hitting the ground, laying on my back, looking up at the tall ceiling where the lights were glaring into my eyes, and i tried to grasp for air i got nothing there were stars shining in my eyes and tears were running down the sides of my face and i was still unable to breathe but i was helped up and then i coughed a little and you know finally i was able to take a deep breath huffing and puffing trying to get the oxygen that i had missed for what seemed to be over a minute you know probably not that long but felt like forever the wind had gotten knocked out of me. And this is the only time that I can remember this has ever happened. Or at least um, it's the only time that I have really helplessly tried to fight for air. I never wrestled after that. I was done. You know, it wasn't worth it to me. You know, it's not really who I am. Um, but, you know, that taught me to be a little bit more cautious, a little less naive, and a little less conforming to my peers. Now, sometimes you have to get the wind knocked out of you to wake up. Sometimes you have to get the wind knocked out of you to wake up. You know, if you've heard of Jacob in the Bible, which I assume most of you have, he wrestled with God. He didn't get the wind knocked out of him. Actually, he was in a fight a little bit, and he got a blessing out of it but he did walk away with a limp. In that fight, something happened to him that he wouldn't forget. But let's go to the beginning. After the flood, where Noah built the ark, and after the Tower of Babel, there was Abraham, who was promised by God that he would make his family into a great nation. Well, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they had a son, his name was Isaac. And Isaac, she married Rebekah, and together, both of them had twins, Esau and Jacob. What a blessing, right? Isaac, he prayed to God for his wife to have children, and the prayer was answered. And then to find out that they would have two, it's like a double blessing, right? Well, you know, to, we know that, or most of you probably know that having one child can, can be a handful, but having two, now that's, that's twice the workload, and... The thing with these two guys is they were sort of drama. You know, they um, weren't the easiest of children. In ancient Israel, and referenced throughout the New Testament and even in recent history, there's benefits if you're the firstborn child. So if you think of Prince William and Prince Henry in England, both of them are the sons of Prince Charles, who was married to Princess Diana. Um, He's the firstborn of Queen Elizabeth, right? She's the current queen of England. So once she dies, Prince William would become king, and um, once Prince Charles dies, or once Prince Charles dies, then you have Prince William, and Prince William has children, but there's also uh, Prince William and Prince Harry. They're both Charles' sons, right? So regardless of what Prince Harry does... Uh, regardless of his merit, regardless of his favor, with anyone in the family, he will most likely never become king. This is because all of William's offspring have the right before Harry. And William was the firstborn, and by nature of his birth alone, he'll inherit the throne. So these twins that Rebecca are about to have, Jacob and Esau, they're her firstborn children. And the author of Genesis makes it clear that these two boys in her womb must have made it known because it's written in Genesis 25, verse 22 through 23. The children tumbled and kicked inside her so much that she said, if this is what it's going to be, why go on living? She went to God to find out what was going on. And God told her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples butting heads while still in your body. One people will overpower the other, and the older will serve the younger. These two boys in Rebecca's womb, they're not just sons. They weren't boys with unknown futures, they were heirs to the promises that were made to Abraham. Abraham was blessed by God to grow a family. There were high expectations on these two boys, but only one would have the birthright as the firstborn son. The wrestling shows that each wanted the blessing. Each each of them wanted the benefit of being that firstborn child to benefit from the promise God gave their fathers. Only one of these boys, however, would be able to be the nation which would ultimately usher in Jesus to fulfill God's plan for all of us. If you've ever tried reading through the Bible in a year, or any time in general, you've probably made it at least through Genesis. So this is like right at the beginning, you've probably read this story and then got to numbers and maybe got discouraged. Um, (laughs) But, you know, if you've heard it, Jacob's the one who ends up receiving the blessing from his father Isaac. He's the one who will be a blessing to all nations, ultimately giving Jesus but it wasn't without any drama. The story ends with Esau on a hill looking down on his brother Jacob. I imagine dark skies with a cold breeze and green grass between them flowing against the high winds. At this point, both brothers have acquired wealth and wives and children, but Jacob fears Esau for his life because what was rightfully his was stolen through deception and manipulation. Surrounded with Esau were 400 men. I imagine they were armed and strong. To prepare for the worst, Jacob tried to divide his wives, maidservants, and children. He expected that many of them would be killed, so he put his most precious wives and children in the back in fear of his life because of all the wrongs he had done against Esau. The heaviness of guilt that weighed on his soul. He went to Esau and bowed to the ground, expecting the worst. This is what it says in Genesis 33. Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. He divided the children, Leah and Rachel, his two wives, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants out in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He led the way, and as he approached his brother, bowed seven times, honoring his brother. But Esau ran up and embraced him, held him tight and kissed him, and they both wept. Esau ran up and embraced Jacob. What happened? Esau was manipulated and deceived out of his birthright, but somehow he came to forgive his brother Jacob. To understand what happened here, we need to look at how it began. The rumbling that was going on in Rebecca's womb displayed itself when Esau was the first out of her womb. She must have had a joy on her face when Esau came out, crying as the midwife helped prepare her for the second child. But as Esau was coming, there was this small hand grabbing onto his heel. It was Jacob basically saying, I want the birthright. I want what you have. It's kind of a a good story, right? But, I mean, if it happened today, a baby holding onto another baby's heel at birth, um, you'd probably think you're more going into, like, some sort of demon baby movie or something weird, right? But, you know, that's not really the point of the story. The author isn't trying to convince us that two babies inside of a womb could conceptualize the meaning of a birthright before they entered into this world. It's a metaphor that shows the life they would live. Both Jacob and Esau were very different boys. Esau liked hunting, and Jacob was more into hanging out at home. Esau would be the one that would be getting ready for hunting season. He's the one who had the gear. He's the one who would go to the shooting range with his dad because you know, that's what Isaac would probably have liked to do. Uh, you know, but Jacob, he would probably stay more home and watch Netflix, you know, hang out with his mom, learn how to cook some things, um, You know, so naturally, because Jacob spent more time with his mother, she had a liking to him, and Isaac had a liking to Esau. Just naturally, because they spent more time with each other and had more common interests. Um, But as they both grew up, you know, I imagine that they're probably like seniors in high school. Esau comes home from some hunt. He's exhausted, and he's likely dehydrated. And Jacob, he's cooking dinner with his mom, and... uh, Esau comes through the door of the tent. Now Esau was probably huffing and puffing, stumbling through the door looking for anything to eat and drink. He's just just exhausted. And Jacob meets him and he says, Hey, brother, I'll I'll help you out. Just sell me your birthright. (laughs) Just sell me your birthright for some food and water. This is what it says in Genesis 25. One day, Jacob was cooking a stew. Esau came in from the field, starved. And Esau said to Jacob, give me some of that red stew. I'm starved. Jacob said, make me a trade. My stew for your rights is the firstborn. Esau said, I'm starving. What good is a birthright if I'm dead? Jacob said, first, swear to me. And he did it. On oath, Esau traded away his rights as the firstborn. Jacob gave him bread and the stew of lentils. He ate and drank, got up and left, and that is how Esau shrugged off his rights as the firstborn. As both the boys got older, so did their father Isaac. And without the benefits of eyeglasses and medicine, Isaac started losing his sight, and his health began failing. He was lying in one of the tents and knew that he needed to bless his oldest son, his favorite son, Esau. Here's the real drama, though. Rebecca didn't agree with Isaac on this one. She preferred Jacob and wanted him to be blessed. So she took advantage of Isaac's condition. Isaac's last wishes were to have some wild game that Esau would prepare for him. And once Esau would bring him the meal, he'd receive the blessing. So... When Esau knew of this, he went out into the field probably with the best gear he had to find the biggest, best game he could find. And I'm sure he was going to be very excited to tell his father of this adventure when he got back. But while Esau was away, Rebecca prepared a hearty stew that Isaac also loved, gave it to Jacob, and then Jacob brought that in to Isaac. You know, at this point, Isaac had poor eyesight, and I imagine that he likely had trouble hearing. So it made him, made it difficult for him to know exactly who was in there. Remember, they are twins, right? But, you know, if, if you've read the story, you know that Jacob used Esau's clothing to smell more like the outdoors. And apparently Esau was hairier, so Jacob somehow covered that base as well. And Basically, it was enough for a blind guy, likely going deaf, to not know the difference between his two sons. And this is the blessing that Isaac gives Jacob in Genesis 27. He came close and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his clothes. Finally, he blessed him. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the open country. Blessed by God. May God give you of heaven's dew and earth's bounty of grain and wine. May people serve you. And nations honor you. You will master your brothers, and your mother's sons will honor you. Those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. You might be wondering, what does this blessing really matter? You know, maybe you bless people all the time when they sneeze, when they hold the door, when you hold the door open for someone, etc., etc. A blessing is really just good fortune, but most of us probably do not have a 1st tradition placed on us. It's not really our culture. It's not really something that's relevant to us. But it's only relevant maybe if you're watching some sort of royal wedding and trying to figure out that whole thing. Um, but, but this is relevant to Jacob, and it's relevant to Esau. The blessing over a new generation is mostly symbolic. But psychologically, and given this period in history, it was absolutely necessary to have this blessing. And only one son can receive it. So after Jacob receives the blessing, he leaves. And immediately after Isaac finishes his meal, Esau shows up and here's what happens. He came to his father and said, Let my father get up in need of his son's game, that he may give me his personal blessing. His father Isaac said, And who are you? Well, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac started to tremble violently. He said, Then who hunted game and brought it to me? I finished the meal just now before you walked in, and I blessed him. He's blessed for good. Esau, hearing his father's words, sobbed violently and most bitterly and cried to his father, My father, can't you also bless me? Your brother, he said, came here falsely and took your blessing. Esau said, not for nothing was he named Jacob the heel. Twice now he's tricked me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. He begged haven't you kept back any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I've made him your master and all his brother, his his servants, and lavished grain and wine on him. I've given it all away. What's left for you, my son? But don't you have one blessing for me, father? Oh, bless me, my father. Bless me. Esau sobbed, sobbed inconsolably. And Isaac said to him, You'll live far from earth's bounty, remote from heaven's dew. You'll live by your sword, hand to mouth, and you'll serve your brother. But when you can't take it anymore, you'll break loose and run free. Esau seethed in anger against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He brooded, the time for mourning my father's death is close, and I'll kill my brother Jacob. Esau will kill Jacob. This is an anger that many of us have probably felt or will feel at some point in our life. It's the anger at life when it's unfair. When we feel like we're getting what we did not deserve, it's getting what we did not want. And there's someone to blame for it. Someone stopped you from getting that job Maybe they cursed your name and told others you are someone you're not. It's feelings of injustice that impact only your life and the experiences you have. You too might have that feeling that whoever did this should die. But you won't act on it. You'll hold it in deeply. You'll become bitter. And the anger will grab a hold of you and control your outlook. And you will miss what God has for you in the present. Jacob fled his home country after he heard Esau wanted to kill him. And it would be years before he saw his brother again. We saw how this story ends. Esau was on that hill with the wind blowing, and Jacob was fully aware of how he wronged his brother, expecting him to have that same anger that he once held. But Esau did not kill his brother. He forgave him, and he reconciled with him. While Jacob was away, he married and had children. He was receiving the blessing his father had given. He had great fortune with hundreds of livestock and servants. God instructed Jacob to go back to his family where he would find Esau. God instructs this. He says, go back to your homeland but he was afraid of this a little bit. You know, and how could he not be? And this is how how Jacob prays in Genesis 32. God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, God who told me, go back to your parents' homeland and I'll treat you well. I don't deserve all the love and loyalty you've shown me. When I left here and crossed the Jordan, I only had the clothes on my back. And now look at me, two camps, Save me, please, from the violence of my brother, my angry brother. I'm afraid he'll come and attack us all. Me, the mothers, and the children. You yourself said, I will treat you well. I'll make your descendants like the seas of the sand, far too many to count. God is faithful, and he's honoring the blessing Isaac gave Jacob. But God is a forgiving God, and a God who desires to see people reconciled with those they have wronged. Jacob is full of guilt for what he's done against his brother, but he's trusting that God is bringing him back to Esau for a reason. That night before he meets Esau with his 400 men is the night Jacob gets to wrestle with God. Here's what it says in Genesis 32, 20, verse 24 through 32. But Jacob stayed behind by by himself, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip out of joint. The man said, let me go, it's daybreak. Jacob said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. The man said, what's your name? And he answered, Jacob. The man said, but no longer, your name is no longer Jacob. From now on, it's Israel, God-wrestler. You've wrestled with God, and you've come through. Jacob asked, what's your name? And the man said, what do you want to know of my name? And then, right then and there, he blessed him. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means God's face, because he said, I saw God's face And I was able to live to tell the story. The sun came up as he left Peniel, limping because of his hip. Now in there, he said that you've wrestled with God and you've come through. Think about that. You've wrestled with God and you've come through. Jacob wrestled with God. He didn't get the wind knocked out of him, but his hip was knocked out of joint as a sort of token a memory. God brought Jacob back to his homeland to serve as an example of reconciliation and forgiveness. In that obedience, Jacob became the father of the people who brought us Jesus. Forgiveness and reconciliation is the type of God we have, and it's what he demands of us. And do you think Esau came over that hill with 400 people expecting to embrace his brother and forgive him? Remember the blessing that his father Isaac gave him? He said, when you can't take it anymore, you'll break loose and run free. At that moment, Esau was broken free. He showed Jacob grace allowing him to resolve the guilt that he had held for years God has given us grace through Jesus and it's this grace that should give us freedom it's this grace that allows us to forgive others it's this grace that might help us to reconcile with those who have hurt us Jacob was obedient to God But the day before he met Esau, he wrestled with him. There might be people in your life that God is calling you to, whether people of the past or those you have yet to meet. And on that journey, there can be a turmoil in your soul that almost tells you, no, I don't want to do this. Those are the moments where you can wrestle with God. The grace that Esau showed Jacob is an image of the grace God has shown us. The grace we received through Jesus is necessary because we offend God a lot, even if we don't mean to, because God is holy. When we step into his grace, we can also become holy as he is holy, working out our salvation by loving other people the way he loves us by grace alone through faith. Please pray with me. God, we are so thankful for your grace and the people that have been able to listen to you and trust you, the people who have gone before us. I pray that you would give us strength to have the courage to listen to the direction that you want us to go so that we can be an example of, of, your, of the grace that you show us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and the Father, and the Son. Amen.